0: Good morning. Hey, if you have your Bible, grab it because we're going to dive into it in just a moment and we're going to tackle this issue of fear that we've been talking about the last two weeks. And if you're living on the same planet that I am, it's been a crazy week. Ongoing discussion about voter fraud, uh, vaccines and, and quarantines and lost jobs and protests in different cities around the world. And wow enough to make a grown man get in a fetal position and suck his thumb if you don't crawl out of the weeds and look at what God has to say about what's going on and inform your mind with truth. The Bible says the truth will set you free. And last week we looked at the first part of a story involving a great king, King Jehoshaphat, and how he led his people through crisis. Dad's Listen up, moms, listen up. If you want to know how to lead through crisis, this story is powerful. And what we saw is that he woke up one morning, didn't have it on his day planner, that three nations would have formed a conglomerate army to come and wipe him out. But he got a report that said, they're coming. And it says he was afraid, but his next step is what sets him apart. It says he set his heart to seek the Lord. And it was out of that response to the report that he led the people. And he led them well. He led them with courage. And we left the story where he has just, instead of getting hysterical, he gets historical. And he takes the people on a journey. Instead of responding in emotion based on the report, he takes the people on a journey and recounts the faithfulness of God from their past, God's power, God's position on the throne in total control over all the nations of the earth, God's past promises to them, the fact that they are his possession, they are his children, and they hold God's hand to the fire based on his promises to them, and so we leave, we left the story last week with them standing before, uh, together in Jerusalem, waiting to hear from God. What do we do? And so this week, we're going to take the next step of the journey when God speaks. And I want to give you five different nuggets. But before I do, I want to ask a question. And I want you to ponder this carefully. Here's the question. What do you think is the most important thing about you? What do you think is the most important thing about you? Crusty old man of God from yesteryear, A.W. Tozer said this, What comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. What comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. So, this morning, I want to inject your mind with truth that sets you free, that helps you to rise above the fray, above the fog, and inject you with truth. I want to inject five different thoughts about God because here's the reality if your thoughts about God are small, your fear will be big. But if your thoughts about God Correspond with the reality of who He is, how big and mighty and powerful He is, your fear will naturally shrink. Small God, big fear. Big God, small fear. So, my mission is to help you walk away from this time in just a few minutes with a much bigger vision and view of who God is so that you can use that truth to pulverize and smash fear and to live with confidence and with joy. Fair enough. That's our journey. So, let me pray. Father, Here we go. We're going to open your word and we ask you to speak to us. We ask you to minister to us. Help us to be teachable. Help us to be not just hearers of the word, but be prepared to apply and do so that we can live the way you've called us to live. We pray it in the good name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Grab your Bible. Turn to 2 Chronicles 20, and we're going to start in verses 12 and 13. And here we have the people standing before the Lord and they make a declaration. Here it is. Jehoshaphat says we are powerless before this great multitude who are coming against us. Nor do we know what to do. But our eyes are on you. Essentially he's saying, Lord, we don't have any power. And we don't have a plan. But we're looking to you. Our eyes are on you. We're watching you. We're anticipating what you're going to do. And here's the great truth, the big nugget, Number one, when you are down to nothing, God is up to something. Mark it down, memorize it, repeat it often. When you're down to nothing, when you've exhausted your resources, when things seem to be out of control, God is up to something. God is up to something. There are two situations in our lives where we feel that we're at an advantage, but we're really at a disadvantage. Those are, number one, when we feel strong. That's why Paul said, to him who thinks he stands, to him who thinks he's strong, beware lest you you fall. Listen for the cracking of the ice, because you're on thin ice if you think you're strong. And the other is when you think you're wise. That's why the Bible says, man, don't be wise in your own eyes. Don't think you're smart. Fear the Lord. Get deadly serious about respecting and honoring the Lord and depart from evil. That's smart. But there are also two different situations where we feel very vulnerable and at a disadvantage when the reality is we're truly at an advantage. And those are these. Number one, when we feel weak. Incapable, impotent, incompetent. <laughs> and number two, when we feel like we've lost control over everything. The world is spinning and we don't know what to do. And we feel absolutely unable to influence our environment. In those situations, often, as I do and did this week because of massive technology issues with my computer and internet, we rage against this weakness and this inability and this sense of being out of control. And we strive and struggle to regain that sense of control. And many of us in our culture right now are raging. I've talked to many of you. I'm just angry. And we feel like things are being stripped. Things are being taken. We feel out of control. We feel weak. But the more we rage and the more we struggle, the worse it gets. Listen to this story. This was uh, told to me by my tenth-grade English teacher, Chris Tarrant. I remember it vividly. It was such a powerful story. He's a very ripped, muscular man. I don't know who, where he's at today, but when he was my teacher, I admired him because he was such a buff, r- buff rascal. <laughs> and he was a, he was a riverboat, a river guide, a fishing guide, a river guide on the Rogue River. And he told the story that one day. He took his boat down a very dangerous rapids and it capsized. And the Rogue River was known for undertoes and for very, very dangerous water. And he was caught in an undertow and it was sucking him under. And he was drowning. And if, with all of his strength, he fought to get back to the surface. But the more he fought, the more the undertow sucked him deeper. There was a point in that struggle where he realized, this is getting me nowhere. And he just relaxed his body and stopped fighting. And the moment he did, that rapid, that undertow, that current shot him right to the surface, back to life-giving oxygen. (laughs) Amazing story. I remember it vividly. This story has a very powerful lesson for us. The Apostle Paul Recounts his own undertow situation in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 when, after experiencing incredible spiritual revelations, God allowed a messenger of Satan, we know it as the thorn in the flesh, to buffet him to keep him humble because of the greatness of these revelations. And Paul, like my teacher, raged against this and asked the Lord three times, Take it away, take it away, take it away. And the Lord said, No. I'm not going to take it away. And the reality is, brothers and sisters, many times we rage against our situations and wish God would just take them away, and he doesn't. But here's what he does instead, because this is what he spoke to Paul, and it's true for us. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. All of my resources are sufficient for you. And that word sufficient literally has the connotation of raising us up, of shooting us out of the rapids and back to life-giving oxygen. It means to raise up, to elevate. And God says to Paul, Paul, I'm not going to take away your thorn because it's being used as a tool as fire to perfect you and to purify you. I'm not going to take it away, but I want to tell you in the middle of it all, my grace, my resources, my strength, my kindness are flooding in to lift you above the fray. I'm not going to take away the enemy, but I'm going to raise you above the enemy. And then he drops an incredible principle that changed Paul's whole life. And Paul is at the end of his ministry at this point. He's an older veteran believer. But God gives him this principle. He says, power is perfected in weakness. Power is perfected in weakness. Power is the, the, the supernatural spiritual energy God is talking about to change things, to shake things up. And he said, that power is, is perfected, which means is on its grandest display, is at its most spectacular in weakness. In weakness, God is essentially saying, Paul, do you want to see when my power is most breathtaking? then go find the darkest moment, the weakest situation. Go find someone who is hopeless and helpless and down to nothing. That's when I do my greatest work. And when God gave this principle to Paul, his mind exploded. And he said, if that's the case, then not only will I not rage against these situations, I will boast in them because when I am weak, then are you strong through me. And that's the principle that we need to understand. When you're down to nothing, God is up to something. God's strength is just getting ready to go to work. Brothers and sisters, that's a game changer. That's a game changer. When you're down to nothing, God is up to something. Mark it down. That flips the script. Point number one. Nugget number one. Number two. Number two. God is your defender. God is your defender. Back to the passage, verses 14 and 15. So verse 13, all of Judah was standing before the Lord with their infants, their wives, and their children. Man, is that a powerful picture. You've got families in this crisis together anticipating now what God is going to do. Can you imagine the the spiritual brain tattoo or soul tattoo for a young child to be in this crazy, fear-inducing mayhem of a situation and to see God come through, life-changing, powerful. Listen, friends, when we look at an issue and we see a problem, God sees a possibility. We see a problem, God sees an opportunity. Use the, the days that we're in to train and teach your kids about the greatness of God. Get your Bible out and lead them in the truth of scripture, teach them who God is. Use this opportunity. So here are the people standing before the Lord and God's about to speak. It says, then in the midst of the assembly, the spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel. He then acts as a prophet speaking. In verse 15, it says, he says to all the people, listen, all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and, and King Jehoshaphat, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not fear. Or be dismayed because of this great multitude. For the battle is not yours, it is God's. Let's break this down. When does the word of the Lord come? It comes after the people have quieted their hearts before the Lord. They are waiting on the Lord. The scripture says that God is unique in that he acts on behalf of those who wait for him. Who stand quietly and wait for him, who exercise faith. And it wasn't in the chaos of their hearts and minds that God spoke, it was when they had quieted themselves before the Lord, then the word of the Lord came. Food for thought. And the word first starts by, do not be afraid, do not be dismayed. What do these words mean? Fear literally has the connotation of pouring ice water through your veins and paralyzing you. It literally means to pour. Has the connotation of to pour. The word dismayed has the connotation of to be shattered or broken. It means to be shattered or broken. And here's what he's saying. Do not allow... This great multitude and your visions, your pictures, your imaginations of what's going to happen when they come up the back hill towards your city to freeze you in terror and to break your spirit, to shatter your spirit. Don't let these images break you down, cause your shoulders to slump and your head to bow and you to put up the white flag and give up and the fire goes out of your eyes and out of your bones and you just lay down and die. Don't do it. Why? Because the battle is not yours, it's God's. The battle is not yours, it's God's. And this is the nugget number two, the reality number two about God. God is your defender. Now, how could the prophets say this, that the battle is not yours but God's? Is this just... A kind of a Christian cliche was this something that was he saw on a bumper sticker somewhere? Where did he get this idea that God? You know, it sounds great, but is it just kind of positive thinking mumbo jumbo? Absolutely not. He is taking the people back to their covenant with God. He's reminding them of a profound principle that they likely had forgotten, and that is that they were in a covenant with God. Our relationship with God wasn't a simple emotional transaction where we felt good in a meeting and we, we wrote X in the box that, yes, I'll go with you, Lord. I will date you. You know, it's not like that. Our relationship with God is what is based on what is called a suzerainty treaty. Now, what in the world is a suzerainty treaty? Let me give you a few bullet points. I'm going to have to do a short work on this because there's a lot to this. But here are the basics. In the days in which we're reading about in the scriptures, a suzerain was considered a king or a very wealthy person or a very powerful person. And treaties would be made typically uh, between a weaker group of people with a more powerful group of people. And they would approach that suzerain and say, listen, we want to make a treaty with you. And when that happened, there would be, the suzerain would be the leader or the Lord of the treaty, but there would be details outlining the treaty, responsibilities of the treaty, and consequences for keeping the treaty, and consequences for breaking the treaty. Now Moses is recounting the suzerainty treaty that the people of Israel have with God, and here's what he says about it. He says, Number one, the Lord didn't make you his beloved, nor choose you because you were great in number. Since you're the fewest. In other words, you guys were the runt of the litter. And typically, the powerful member doesn't choose the weaker member. It's the other way around. But God chose the runt. (laughs) Guys, listen. Scripture says that not many wise or powerful or successful or intellectual. God doesn't call those typically (laughs) those kind of people. He calls the runts of the litter. So if you feel like you're a runt of the litter, if you feel weak, you're perfect for God to use. He says, I chose you. You're the run of the litter, but because I loved you, I chose you. And then he says, know therefore that the Lord your God, he is God. That's Moses speaking to a young generation getting ready to go into the promised land. Know therefore that the Lord your God, he is God. They're going to encounter a lot of idol gods in the promised land, they're going to have to make choices. Who will we serve? The Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God who keeps his covenant and his faithfulness to a thousand generations. This is vital for those who love him and keep his commandments. Now, the essential nature of a, of a suzerainty treaty was what is mine is yours and what is yours is mine. That's the kind of the kernel of it. Now for the purposes of this story, one of the responsibilities of each party was to defend the other and to fight for the other in in the case of an attack, of a threat. And obviously this weighed hugely to the weaker party as they would lean on the much more powerful party to defend them. And so what you have in this story is Jehaziel, the, the prophet, he's saying to the people, we are part of that thousand generations. We're about 50, 60 generations down. We've, we're part of this contract. The promise of the contract ensures us protection. God has promised to fight for us. Friends, it's vital that we know our Bibles, that we know the contract and what the terms are because the scripture says that God is our defender. He fights for us. Now, what does it look like when you know the terms of the contract and you trust the suzerain? What does that look like? Fast forward or backwards, I should say, to First Samuel chapter 17, where we see a young shepherd boy walking out of the pasture onto the battlefield where for 40 days a 9-foot-9 giant called Goliath has done nothing but insult his fellow countrymen and the God of Israel Cast insults, demean, curse, and David walks into this situation. Nobody's doing anything, and he starts to ask questions. What is going on here? And they give him the situation, and he starts to, uh, to, to, to shake things up. And twice, as he's inquiring about the giant, he calls him an uncircumcised Philistine. Now, what in the world does that mean? Was this locker room talk, or what was going on? Every covenant has a sign or a kind of like a brand that identifies you with the one who is your suzerain. And God had told Abraham that the sign of the covenant between he and and Abraham and who would become the nation of Israel would be circumcision. It's a whole other study, but that would be the sign of the covenant, that all males would be circumcised. And so when David walks into this battle, he realizes this this Philistine has no circumcision. He has no covenant with God. He might have a covenant with somebody else, but it's not with the God of heaven and earth. And this emboldens David. So here's what he says in chapter 17, verses 45 Through 47, he says, David is speaking to Goliath. He's declaring with authority. He says this, you, Goliath, come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. That Lord of hosts is literally, in, in the original language, Yahweh Sabaoth. Jehovah Sabaoth, which means the the seven-star general of all of the armies of heaven. So what David is essentially saying is, you've got a couple little weapons. I have the whole army of heaven behind me. You're at a disadvantage, big guy. And he says this, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted, (laughs) I come to you in the name of the God of heaven, the armies of Israel, whom you have have taunted. In other words, you picked on the wrong boy. You picked on the wrong nation. Now you're going to have to suffer the consequences. And then he declares, this day the Lord will deliver you up into my hands and will strike. You. I will strike you down, remove your head from you. I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all of this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear, for the battle is the Lord's. Almost word for word what Jehaziel said. When you understand the contract, when you understand that the God of heaven, the general of all of heaven's armies, by contract is responsible to fight for you. And he's faithful. He never breaks a promise. It emboldens you like David was emboldened. You can move forward with confidence. And brothers and sisters, I want to declare to you right now, it might not look like this story of Goliath, but God is fighting for his children, for his people. Right now, God is fighting. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. And that leads us to point number three. And that is this, God is exceedingly and brilliantly creative. What I didn't mention from the last point is this, that covenant extends to a thousand generations. And in the book of Ephesians, Paul makes it clear that the great mystery that God showed him was this, It's not only for the Jewish nation, but those who place their faith in Jesus. It opens up the side door, if you will, to the covenant that you and me, who don't have necessarily Jewish DNA, we get in on the same terms. God fights for us as well. We have the same privileges of the covenant that the Jewish people did. Legally, God is responsible for us, He is our defender. And number three, God is brilliantly creative. Let's look at the next few verses. Now the prophet begins to tell them how this is all going to go down. He says this. Tomorrow, go down against them. Behold, they will be coming up the ascent of Z's. They're coming from the south, from around the Dead Sea. And you will find them at the end of the valley in front of the wilderness of Jerul. So far, everything sounds like what they expected. But then he throws them a curveball. You need not fight in this battle. (laughs) Uh, Excuse me? Didn't see that one coming. Station yourselves. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. Do not fear. Don't be dismayed. Tomorrow go out and face them, for the Lord is with you. (laughs) He repeats do not fear. Do not be dismayed. Because when you give a battle plan like that, people are shaking their heads thinking you're out of your mind. And that's precisely this point. God doesn't do things the way we would. There is a portal, there is another world that is supernatural, that is not accessed with the intellect. Now, God never asks us to put aside our brain. That's why I love the Christian faith, and I am rock solid in my faith because I can engage it with my intellect beautifully. But there is a portal that we enter through humility, through obedience, through weakness, and through faith. We don't always understand God's ways. He is so brilliantly creative and his ways are so high above our ways. He does things so differently. So often we ask ourselves, how is God going to do this? How is this going to happen? Guys, that's the wrong question. The question we need to be asking is, who is my faith placed in? It's not about how, it's about who. We will look back After the situation and we will be able to give you an exact answer about how. How will work itself out. The chief question is who? And God is brilliantly creative. If you study scripture, it should cause you to chuckle, to laugh, and just enjoy how great God is. His battle plans are so unique, so off outside of the box, so crazy, you can't plan for them. The enemy has no way to prepare. God comes in and does things in ways that we would never dream. We just trust him, and then we stand back afterwards and say, oh, that's how amazing, and we worship Jesus. Paul says in Romans chapter one, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it is the power of God unto salvation to those who believe. He says, I am not ashamed. He didn't say, I am proud of the gospel, because in that culture, the message of the gospel was so crazy to this powerful Roman empire, no one would have ever believed that a no-name carpenter from a a slave state with no education would be slaughtered on a cross and the savior of the world and the king of the universe. That was totally out of the box. (laughs) Satan, if he had his way, he would have had a royal born in Rome to the emperor and his wife, trained by the top military leaders and the top teachers and trainers of of that time. It would have been exactly opposite to what God did. But God flips the script all the time. He's brilliantly creative. So I'm challenging you in our times that we're living in, when you look and you're just saying, I got, I got no answers for this. Get curious, not cynical. Lord, what are you up to? This is, this is where you do your best work. When we're down to nothing, when things look crazy, you give us an assignment and it just seems nuts to me. But I trust you because you're brilliantly creative. Let's see what you're up to. Number four. God has given us a powerful weapon in worship, in worship. Let's read about it. Verse 17, or verse 18. And Jehoshaphat, after the prophet has given them this message and this plan, Jehoshaphat senses, this is from the Lord. And it says, he bowed his face, his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Israel fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites from the sons of the Kohathites and the sons of the Korites, these are the pastors, these are the elders of the group, they stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with a very loud voice. So their response to this crazy stuff that God was doing was worship. They worshiped God. Come back to that in a second. Now, verse 20 They rose early in the morning and went out to the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, listen to me. He's refocusing the people because the night before they'd been given this crazy idea about stationing themselves and standing still and watching God do the the victory. It's very easy that overnight their vision of God shrinks and their vision of the enemy rises their faith shrinks and their fear enlarges. And he's essentially saying, don't you get buyer's remorse. Let's refocus on who God is and how great he is. And he says this, he gives his Braveheart brave heart speech. He says, listen to me, O Judah and inhabitants of Israel, put your trust in the Lord, your God, and you will be established. You will be firm. You will be on a solid rock. Your feet will be grounded. Put your trust in his prophets and succeed. Brothers and sisters, that is how we live our lives. We build our house on the rock that is Jesus. We listen to his word, we obey his word, and we are established and we succeed. And Jehoshaphat is reminding them, don't sway from the message God gave you. Don't be moved. And then in verse 21, it says, and when he had consulted with the people he appointed those who sang to the Lord and those who praised him in holy attire and they went out before the army and he said give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness is everlasting and when they began singing and praising the Lord set ambushes against the sons of Ammon Moab and Mount Seir who had come against Judah and they were routed when they began singing and praising they were routed For the sons of Ammon and Moab rose up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, destroying them completely. And when they had finished with them, they helped to destroy one another. And verse 24, when Judah came to the lookout of the wilderness, the battle was essentially over. They got to the battle and it was already over. They looked toward the multitude and behold, there were corpses lying on the ground. No one had, had escaped. No one had escaped. Here's some brief thoughts about worship. In 1 Chronicles 25, David actually ordains 288 worship leaders to form a worship Navy SEAL team. It's actually a division of the military of Israel, the worship Navy SEAL team. Go read it. 1 Chronicles chapter 25. They understood, and David understood who David was a mighty worshiper and a, and, a, and a songwriter. He understood the power of worship. And so he actually created the division in the army, and we'll just call it the Worship Navy Seal Team. <laughs> and in this case, they employ or deploy the Worship Navy Seal Team. They stick them right in the front. They understand what David wrote in Psalm 22, verse three, that God inhabits the praises of his people. What does that mean? Another verse says God is enthroned, or another version says God is enthroned on the praises of his people. Here is the dynamic that we've gotta understand. Worship and praise is not firstly about God. It's aligning our hearts with the reality of who God is. God is enthroned on the praises of his people. When we praise and give thanks to God, we acknowledge his sovereignty, his leadership over everything. We don't put him on his throne. We align to see him where he is. We just align ourselves with truth and reality. But when we do, it results in gratitude and thanksgiving And it opens our hearts. And what does God do? He takes all the authority from the throne and he flows it right down that channel that's been created by aligning with reality about who God is. He takes that authority and he brings it to bear in our situation. And that's exactly what happened here. They praised, they worshiped God before the battle ever ever happened. This is a praise of faith. Brothers and sisters, this is a muscle we have to develop. It is not natural to worship God before we see the breakthrough. But that is a powerful spiritual discipline. I'm just learning it. (laughs) To lift your hands and worship Jesus before you see the breakthrough. Thanking Him in advance for it. It's a a dramatic and powerful act of faith. And when we do that, we raise our arms. It just creates a channel. (laughs) Just creates a channel where God's Power and influence from his throne flows right down into our situation and changes things. It's that dynamite that shakes things up. And in this story, when they worshiped and they began to praise and give thanks, God came and fought. All of the heaven's armies came down that channel and boom, mixed it up, wiped them out. Worship is a powerful, powerful weapon. Cultivate the spiritual muscle of lifting your hands and worshiping Jesus when you're confused, when you're weak, when you don't know what to do, when things seem out of control, lift your hands and begin to worship. When your marriage is not going the way it should, your kids are off the rails, finances look crazy, worship Jesus. Worship Jesus. And finally, the last thought is the last five verses. It says this, Verse 25, when Jehoshaphat and his people came to take their spoil, they found much among them. <laughs> so all of the spoil from these three armies now is free game. Including goods, garments, and valuable things which they took for themselves more than they could carry. And they, and they were three days taking the spoil because there was so much. Oh, we could talk about three days. That's a very significant statement. Don't have time. Then on the fourth day they assembled in the valley of Barakah, for there they blessed the Lord. Barakah means blessing. Therefore they have named the place, the valley of Barakah, until today. And every man of Judah and Jerusalem returned with Jehoshaphat at their head. Jehoshaphat is still leading, leading strong, returning to Jerusalem with joy, for the Lord had made them to rejoice over their enemies they came to Jerusalem with harps and lyres and trumpets to the house of the Lord, and the dread of God was on all the kingdoms of the lands. There's a boomerang principle when we worship, and that is the dread that the others, that the enemy's trying to put on us, the confusion they're trying to put on us, it boomerangs back on them. <laughs> they all started fighting each other. And then the nations around who heard about it, they were fearful. They didn't want to fight. They didn't want to come up against the children of Israel. The boomerang effect of worship is powerful takes what the enemy means for evil and it puts it right back on him. In verse 30, so the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace for his God gave him rest on all sides. The last nugget is this, on the other side of fear is blessing. On the other side of the valley of the shadow of death is the valley of Baraka, the valley of blessing. Battle through your fear. Apply these truths because God has Blessing and joy and rejoicing and elevation and promotion and growth on the other side of fear. Don't run from fear. Battle through it. Battle through it. Firmly standing on the truth of the word of God, becoming historical, not hysterical. Understanding that When we are down to nothing, God is up to something, that God is our defender, and God is crazily, amazingly creative in the way he fights, and that worship is a powerful weapon, and that on the other side of fear is blessing and joy. Good stuff. Good stuff. Thank you, Lord. We worship you this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your work in our lives. We thank you that in the midst of the fog and chaos of our world, we can shine like lights. We can be givers of hope, transporters of hope, beacons of hope. God, give us the boldness to do it as we stand directly on your greatness, reminding ourselves of these principles. And we pray in the name of of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Bless you. Bless you. Bless you. Have a great week. I will see you next week. God bless.